0: Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of Starknet. Today on the show, if you ever remember listening to my older episodes, which I called Layer Zero episodes, no, not Layer Zero, the bridge, Layer Zero, the fact that all of these Layer Ones are supported by humans, supported by people, supported by tribes and cultures. That's what we call the Layer Zero here on Bankless. And today we are exploring the Layer Zero of Starknet. I had on Abdel. Abdel.Stark, it's his screen name, uh, from the StarkNet Starkware community. Uh, and we talked just talked a little bit about what it means to be inside of the StarkNet community. Who are these people? What is the vibe of the tribe? Why did people come to plant their plant their settlement, settle into the world of StarkNet? And then also, what is exciting in the world of StarkNet? This is this spawned out of a conversation that I had with uh, Abdel on Twitter after I made a tweet that I shot from the hip uh, calling StarkNet the least aligned Ethereum layer two. Uh, I explain what I mean by that here in this episode, but it, it's not as it seems. It was uh, an errant tweet, I'll call it. Uh, and we unpacked that a little bit here on the show today. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Abdel from StarkNet. But first, before we get into that conversation, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Kraken knows crypto. Kraken's been in the crypto game for over a decade. And as one of the largest and most trusted exchanges in the industry, Kraken is on the journey with all of us to see what crypto can be. Human history is a story of progress. It's part of us hardwired. We're designed to seek change everywhere, to improve, to strive. And if anything can be improved, why not finance? Crypto is a financial system designed with the modern world in mind, instant, 24/7. Permissionless and 24 7. It's not perfect, and nothing ever will be perfect. But crypto is a world-changing technology at a time when the world needs it the most. That's the Kraken mission to accelerate the global adoption of cryptocurrency so that you and the rest of the world can achieve financial freedom and inclusion. Head on over to krakencom bankless to see what crypto can be. Not investment advice, crypto trading involves risk of loss. Cryptocurrency services are provided to US and US territory customers by Payward Ventures Eek, PVI doing business as Kraken. Cello is the mobile first EVM compatible carbon negative blockchain built for the real world. Driving real-world use cases like mobile payments and mobile DeFi, and with Opera Minipay as one of the fastest-growing Web3 wallets, Cello is seeing a meteoric rise with over 300 million transactions and 1.5 million monthly active addresses. And now, Cello is looking to come home to Ethereum as a layer 2. Optimism, Polygon, Matter Labs, and Arbitrum have all thrown their hats in the ring for the Cello layer 2 to build upon their stacks. Why the competition? The Cello layer 2 will bring huge advantages like a decentralized sequencer, off-chain data availability, secured by Ethereum validators and one block finality. What does that all mean for you? With Celo Layer 2, gas fees will stay low and you can even pay for gas natively using ERC-20 tokens, sending crypto to phone numbers across wallets using Social Connect. But Celo is a community-governed protocol. This means that Celo needs you to weigh in and make your voice heard. Join the conversation in the Celo forums. Follow Celo on Twitter and visit Celo.org to shape the future of Ethereum. Are you launching a token? Is it already live? How are you managing the legal and tax obligations for providing token grants to your team. It's no secret that token management gets complicated. Between learning all the legal language and tax obligations in every country that your team is in, token grant management can feel like an obstacle course. But it doesn't have to. That's where Toku steps in. Toku provides practical tools to handle token grants, allowing for effective oversight of token distributions and payroll tax compliance for employees, contractors, advisors, and investors. They also handle tax withholdings through their real-time tax calculations that can be done by Toku or integrated into any payroll EO. OR providers in any jurisdiction. Toku is a trusted provider of Protocol Labs, DYDX Foundation, Mina Protocol, and many more. Get started for free and make token compensation simple at toku.com slash bankless. Hey, Abdel, how's it going?
1: Hey, I'm good, David. Thanks for having me.
0: So this is uh, the first time that we've ever connected, and it's been a while since I've done one of these like layer zero type episodes, Uh, but these have always been in search of the spirit of communities, uh, the spirit behind why people uh, resonate with some of the systems that they find themselves in in crypto. Uh, and so today I kind of want to explore the Starkware, Starknet, uh, Starkers, Starkers? What, what 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 would you call the people that um, vibe with the Stark tribe?
1: Yeah, actually, I don't think we have a common name. We have a group of... Uh, um, a Telegram group where we have most of the builders, which is called uh, Cairo Co-stars. But mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. I don't think we have a name. We should fix that. If you yeah. have some suggestions, uh,
0: yeah. Maybe it'll <laughs> emerge sometime during uh, this episode. Uh, Cai- yeah. Cairo Co-stars. What was it? Yeah, Cairo Co-stars. Yeah. Right, because Cairo that. is the coding language for yeah, exactly. uh, for Star yeah. Knight, right, yeah, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you came into crypto and then um, what sparked interest specifically in, in the Starkware, Starknet ecosystem.
1: Yeah, sure. So before crypto, I was working in the fintech industry. So mm-hmm. in a in, in a startup working on cloud-based payments, basically enabling uh, payments using contactless technology on the, the on the phone, like NFC technology. So I, I I used to say that I was working with banks before fighting them. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, so then I I like I was working there. Uh, I I have been working there for uh, seven years, basically building this uh, payment uh, infrastructure, working on cryptographic stuff and so on. And then in 2012, I discovered Bitcoin, playing the bit uh, with it, like uh, running some nodes, uh, looking at the code and and whatnot. But it was not sufficient to strike me and to say, I want to to work on this space and whatnot. So it was really in 2015 when I discovered Ethereum, uh, Mm. right before the launch. It was like a revelation to me. Uh, I I was attending to Conference uh, by Stefan Choual about uh, Ethereum uh, and the vision and and whatnot. And it was really a revelation for me. After this conference, I was I had only one idea. I wanted to work on that space and and whatnot. But, uh, you know, initially I did not want to leave my company because I was attached to it. And it was like a family company, kind of. So I tried first to convince them that there was something interesting to do with blockchain and Ethereum, especially because we were already connected to the banking industry. Mm. And at this time, it was pretty rare for uh, Web3 projects to be connected to the banking industry. So we did some experiments, but then they were not convinced. For them it was a speculative bubble and for, for me it was not. So at some point after two years I gave up and I decided to leave and I joined Consensus basically. Uh, so I stayed at Consensus for three years, mainly working as uh, Ethereum core developer, working on the Bezu uh, Ethereum clients and My main achievement was uh, working on EIP-1559, so I've been Mm. working on it for almost two years. I have been championing it uh, on the technical side uh, and working with Team Beko and client teams and whatnot. So it was very interesting because I discovered a lot of the um, interesting aspects, not only technical aspects, but also the governance of decentralized protocol and the fact that you have many different parties and they all have different interests and, and whatnot. Like, for example, miners were really opposed to this EIP because it was of uh, reducing right. drastically their revenues. So there was a lot of pushback from big mining pools and whatnot. So uh, I had to play with all of that and it was super interesting because, and this is also the, the theme uh, of this uh, uh, Layer Zero episode, it's also all about social layer and how to align interests between different parties working together on the same protocol. So it was super interesting.
0: So you've been very close to the code but then also right like uh when you're so close to the code uh with the ethereum protocol especially uh there's just a lot of like part like uh, social interests that emerge that uh you need to navigate how'd you find your way way into the starkware world
1: yeah so then uh after the work on the ip1559 i i was a bit exhausted to be honest and i Hmm. i had the wrong impression that I, i i I did my time on Ethereum space. Uh, like uh, uh, I, I had the impression that I disc- played with all the different aspects and, and whatnot. It was completely wrong, actually. But then I, at the same time, I was also a bit uh, uh, interested by the interoperability vision of the Cosmos ecosystem and this uh, world where you can have different chains com- communicating together and so on. So I, I moved to, uh, for a year on Cosmos ecosystem. But then uh, I had uh, a lot of disillusions basically, on Cosmos ecosystem, uh, mainly because of the social layer, to be clear. Right. Uh, like the fact that there are many Cosmos projects, but few of them really contribute back to the core stack and whatnot. Also, many back-to-back agreements between foundations on different chains that end up concentrating the power and few actors in the whole uh, ecosystem. So I wanted to come back to the roots and come back to Ethereum. But then I thought that maybe I had, uh, you know, a significant experience on the layer one, and I wanted maybe to do to do something else and help Ethereum scale. So I I, I wanted to do something on the layer two space. So I started by doing a, a sort of analysis uh, about the layer two landscape and uh, try to play with the different technologies and and whatnot, and then my conclusion was that StockNet was, uh, uh, to me, the most uh, interesting and promising. I was really excited about this idea of Starknet being very different. And I guess we will talk about it a lot here, but it was really something like, okay, the, the idea that the, the, the EVM, when it was designed, it was not designed to be ZK friendly back in the time, of course, because the ZK space was not that evolved and whatnot. And now we have the choice between trying to make it uh, ZK friendly or try to do something from scratch and do something optimized for this new uh, technology that is uh, the zero knowledge space. And I really like this idea. And ultimately, I like both ideas. I think we need both. But I think there are too few projects trying this uh, alternate path. and I'm happy that uh, Starknet is doing that. So then I I I, I started first uh, a project uh, building on Starknet, and then I I, I met people from Starkware and and whatnot, and then I decided to to join Starkware to work on, on Starknet, basically.
0: Beautiful. And and you've you've been watching like the progress of the Starkware, Starknet, uh, StarkX ecosystem. So you kind of have been there at least witnessing from the beginning, right?
1: Uh, no, not from the beginning, uh, The not too far after the beginning of StarkNet itself, but uh, okay. the, uh, yeah, yeah, like two years ago. So it was okay. really at the beginning of StarkNet, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, for, from my perspective in uh, Ethereum, the Stark, start, starting with Starkware and some of the Stark X um, at chains, right? And this is kind of where Starkware really got its footprint mm-hmm. with its Stark X product that exactly. uh, DYDX uses or used, um, So rare uses, um, yeah. They're like generalized chains, but they're made by these one specific companies to serve their specific purpose, right? So DYDX was the first derivatives platform um, exactly. on, on Ethereum and they use the Stark X uh, ch- yeah. technology, kind of like app specific, uh, uh, DYDX, ax, ax, oh Jesus, app specific chain. And there's a, a few other these, right? And so this is where like kind of Stark where got its footprint, got its foundation, started like growing a little bit. And like it was always to me in the very beginning, it was always in stark contrast to uh, some of the slower uh, projects that were growing on Layer 2s, the optimism, which at the time was optimism and arbitrum. Because like Stark, yeah. Starkware would kind of beat everyone to the punch when it came to like the Layer Two scaling philosophy. But it was also like you said, it was uh, we just not, not not interested in the EVM because the EVM couldn't serve its purposes. So I've always thought like Starkware was like pretty distant away from like Ethereum because it had its own culture, its own vibe, like Optimism and Arbitrum were fighting about like who's more Ethereum aligned, who's more EVM equivalent. And then Starkware is like, F all that. Like we are, I've always called like Starkware as in like they're Stark maxis. They're about Mm. Starks. Uh, They Mm. want to express Starks uh, and they don't really want to bring in any of the Ethereum baggage which mm-hmm. like Optimism and Arbitrum are competing over uh, and they just want to like build Stark. So That's kind of how I've uh, illustrated what the Stark net ecosystem, Starkware ecosystem kind of like mm-hmm. where it started from. How, how do you reflect on that? Yeah, it's
1: funny and very interesting, actually. Um, it reminds me of the discussions we had on Twitter uh, right. that initiated this, uh, right, this exactly. discussion yeah, about yeah. uh, about StarkNet being the least aligned Ethereum L2. And why it's funny for me specifically, because I am literally the one who is pushing a lot about the importance of Ethereum alignment. Uh, so now we use it as a meme because to be serious, I really believe it's imp- the Ethereum alignment is important, actually. Mm-hmm. But I just believe that we don't have the correct definition of the Ethereum alignment. I mean, it's it, it's impossible to have a universal common definition of it. But in my opinion, for example, specifically, the execution engine should not be a part of something that is important for the Ethereum alignment. Uh, even more, on the contrary, I think it's risky to consider that the EVM compatibility is an important criteria for Ethereum alignment because it will kill completely innovation and it will be Potentially a systemic risk if everyone is doing ZKVM and it happens that there is a big uh, issue that we don't see right now. Uh, It would be a systemic risk for Ethereum because Ethereum adopts a roll-up centric roadmap. And uh, so I believe the Ethereum alignment is very important, but uh, uh, there are some aspects like that that I don't consider part of the Ethereum alignment. Uh, For example, I'm more attached to the philosophical alignment, basically the core values and principles of uh, of Ethereum and whatnot. Obviously, economic alignment is important, and on that, I uh, you mentioned something also that it will be interesting to see uh, how the token will play because it will be the first uh, uh, fee token that that is not it. Uh That I agree can be. A bit disturbing for uh, from the point of view of the economical alignment. But to me, the most important thing is to um, to pay the security budget of Ethereum and settle on Ethereum and use it as DA layer and whatnot. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So like this is uh, this conversation for your listeners kind of started on on Twitter when I sent out like a, I, people probably listeners know I shoot from the hip on Twitter. Um, and I said that like uh, Stark, start <laughs> It's going to be interesting to see Starknet, like a not a less Ethereum-aligned layer two, which I think everyone kind of interpreted as they saw fit, uh, and which was my mistake because I left that very much up to interpretation. Back in the early days when we had like Arbitrum and Optimism and Starkware, Starknet, like Starknet, like I said, was just like the most distant in terms of the technology was distant. The culture was like it was attracted a different set of builders. Uh, and like like I said, it was Starknet, Stark Maxi's like Stark's the the cryptography primitive, uh, and then also was interested in using Stark as the gas token. And like if we rewind the clock and go back to like. 2020 this was so incredibly divergent from like what we were familiar with with optimism and arbitrum, right um and then now we fast forward to today and like now those differences seem so trivial and small and marginal because like what is like ethereum misaligned has really like expanded into like some like absolute bs uh but like it it was a little bit of a uh when I like sent out that tweet and then got that pushback from the Star net ecosystem, it was like, what the hell are you talking about, David, where we are feel very Ethereum aligned. I was just like, oh, yeah, really, the evolution of the conversation of Ethereum alignment has really moved on from just like not being EVM equivalent and not using ETH as gas. Now there's like a much different part of the spectrum. So that's yeah. like kind of where my like perspective was coming from
1: yeah yeah and now we use this meme a lot and we play with it uh, it's even in my bio you know we uh, also use some emoji to 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 symbolize the uh least aligned uh, meme and whatnot so thank you for that because it's a powerful Wait, meme. this but turned into yeah. a meme yeah 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 really really
0: yeah uh, yeah, 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 really the whole we like use my like least aligned uh exactly it turned yeah. into a meme
1: yeah yeah
0: what's yeah. uh, yeah, the yeah. emoji he- uh, the
1: emoji is a compass for the uh-huh. alignment and the uh-huh. decreasing chart, like to show that the alignment <laughs> is decreasing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have it in my Twitter handle and many people in <laughs> StackNet ecosystem as well. Because and, I tweeted yeah. that. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs>
0: well, yeah. Okay, for the record, complete, like, not not necessarily misunderstanding, but just, like, very poor communication and an incomplete idea being spread expressed from, like, Pulled forward a vibe like four years ago that, yeah, that came in. When you you bring forward like Ethereum alignment from 2020 and 2024, things don't translate.
1: Yeah, no, no, but let uh, let me be clear. There is no hard feelings or whatnot. We just right. think that it's a good way actually to to show the difference right. of Starknet and play with it because people then can question whether or not we are serious when we say that, and then it can be lead to interesting right. discussions. So there is no hard feelings. Right. It's a good meme, actually. Right, right. Yeah. okay.
0: Okay, but yeah. I also do want to get into like the shared identity, like I said at the beginning, of the Starkwarians, Starknetians, Starkers, Um, because there, there is like a cultural difference, uh, between some of the, I don't know what you would call like the Ethereum vibe. It's very diverse, but like maybe some, uh, I don't know, kumbaya granola people of the Ethereum, uh, Ethereum layer one. Uh, and then there's like the Stark, the Starkers who are like, you know, pretty damn serious people, um. really into what the projects that they're building, really into the expansion of Starks. Uh, And like, sometimes you can just like, I'll be talking to somebody at a conference and I'll be like, I'll get kind of a vibe. Like, oh yeah, you're a a Starkware person. Like I I can, there's like a shared identity there. Uh, Can you like do your best to try and describe this in words? Like what would you say is the identity of Starkware?
1: Mm, Yeah, definitely. And I think that part of it is uh, related to the technical uh, design choices,
0: actually. Mm. Like
1: for example, I think really that the non-EVM compatibility played a big role in shaping this shared identity on the StockNet ecosystem. I will try to explain why. First of all, I think it it's uh, by default, it makes builder uh, in a mood where they think out of the box more naturally. Okay? Um Also, uh it's kind of a filter of motivation, kind of why? because you know there is no point in learning a new language and whatnot if you don't want to build something meaningful because if you just want to do a low quality copy pasta of something else, you can just take an e v m project and deploy it on so many e v m chains so I think it acts also as a motivation filter, and people want to do meaningful stuff and also uh disruptive stuff like st- stuff that are very special and unique we see. So a concrete element, I think that we have probably younger people on average than on Ethereum. We have a lot of very young builders that are very interested by... Some verticals that are uh, uniquely enabled by Starknet or more powerful on Starknet, for example, on-chain gaming is one of just one on Starknet that is very developed and we really have a lot of uh, very young builders that really like on-chain gaming and want to push the frontier of what we can do on-chain. And they understood that the, the power of the Cairo virtual machine can really unleash this potential. So we have a big project. Uh, I know you are familiar with it, but uh, it's Dojo. We, we, are building a, a, an on-chain gaming engine and so it's the equivalent of mud on optimism ecosystem uh, so and uh, we have a lot of builders that, who think out of the box naturally i would say and they really understood that with those new primitives they can explore new area and they they are not trying to copy past something that they see elsewhere. Usually they tend to more naturally innovate and do some crazy stuff. Like for example, AI on-chain, like we have a project called Giza. They are doing machine learning inference on-chain using Cairo and and whatnot. So I think this is one property that we have on on Starknet ecosystem. I think also by default, they are uh, very much uh, uh, attached to very core and low level tech. you know, back in the days the the cairo stack and the stockness stack was very uh, hard. basically, it was very low level the the right. tooling was not great and whatnot. And I think somehow it shaped uh, the builders in the ecosystem because they had to play with that and find different ways to to conciliate with this uh, new and young ecosystem that is lacking a lot of tooling. So they had to. First, to be patient and to try to overcome those difficulties uh, and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I think it helped a lot to shape this uh, shared identity.
0: One of the things that I thought was immensely interesting when I went to the Starkware sessions in uh, Tel Aviv in February of last year, 2023, um, it was in the very early days of kind of the, the Starknet independence from Starkware. Like the community and builders that had been building on Starkware and like using Starks and like learning about Cairo and then saw like Starknet as a thing. I think there was test nets up and running. So people were building and, and just getting their teeth, the uh, teeth sharpened. Um, they were also coming to the realization of, oh, we are the early people in Starknet. This thing is going to be placed on our shoulders. Uh, and now it's, is, I'm not just a dev anymore. Now I'm yeah. like a community steward of something greater than myself. Exactly. I'm also, I'm very close to the governance conversations. There was a governance workshop where people like literally sat in a circle, like cross-legged and talked about like what governance will look like for StarkNet moving forward. There were a few community volunteers who had uh, volunteered to be part of the StarkNet foundation to be liaisons with the StarkNet community. And, and it was like, hey guys, this is like up to us and nowhere and i don't really think anywhere anyone that i I recognize from starkware were there like stewarding those conversations i think starkware did a fantastic job of finding the right people elevating them and say hey you are community members you are also leaders um shepherd everyone and then they're like uh okay sure i don't know what that looks like i need to go figure it out with everyone else and so in addition to the very technically competent like low-level builders that you were talking about there was also this was a year ago now there was also this like emerging realization of like there is this massive network that is going to be owned by us and people will all, were all coming to learn about like what that meant for them. It's like, oh, I'm not just a developer. I'm now also a, like a governor, a steward of this thing. Uh, and that was my vibe, the, the vibe check that I got like last February, so a year ago. And now like StarkNet is an, an alive ecosystem. The StarkNet token is dropped. It's, it's out there in the wild now. It's not actually at the time of recording, but it will be when this goes live. Um, maybe you could like uh, talk about the m- maturation, the progress, the evolution of the community around StarkNet over the last year or so? Like, how has that formed?
1: Definitely. So what you said is uh, completely true. Uh, They they are really uh, involved a lot in the governance of the protocol, and they are participating a lot in the lifecycle of the the network. Uh, Another example is that uh, last summer, we did uh, a special assembly. So there were, there were uh, 40 builders gathered together in Paris in the castle. We spent three days literally all together discussing about many aspects of Starknet, including technical aspects, including governance, including the values and whatnot. Ethereum alignment, actually, we discussed, we had a specific uh, session about uh, Ethereum alignment and, and, and so on. And it was amazing to see those people all together committing three days of their lives, coming from different countries in the world, all together, united by a common goal. And it's true that they are very much involved in that. And it's more and more the case, like uh, there are more uh, committees in the foundation and people from the committee are really shepherding those. Like we have a gaming committee, we have a DeFi committee, uh, we have people working on, on governance and, and all aspects. And I think like also related to what we said before, uh, because you know, everything had to be built from scratch. Um, no one was afraid of building something that was missing. And it ended up that we have a very diverse stack, basically. Uh, by far the most di- uh, diverse uh, among all L2s like we have five different full nodes implementations uh, three three provers uh, three sequencers um, uh, uh, f- four different implementations of the Cairo virtual machine and it's it's uh, it's huge actually to have this level of decentralization of the stack uh, so early uh, were on all different layer two because they can leverage already existing pieces on Ethereum. So it's not that they become lazy, but by default, you know they have something they can use. where uh, on Startnet, you had to build everything from scratch, RPC uh, infrastructure, everything tooling, uh, compilers and whatnot. And so naturally we have now a very diverse stack.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. and it, I think when we look back on the history of, and of crypto, Like the the maturation and development and growth of this darknet ecosystem will just be like an insane case study of how how to spawn a network. Uh, I don't think really we will get like uh, opportunities like this very often. uh, Just to even watch this thing, Um, can you talk a little bit about just like how uh, that decentralization process was able to be achieved over the last like uh, one or two years? Uh, Like community, like first. You had a community, which was like already a huge advantage, but also like by the leadership of you know people inside of the Starknet Starkware ecosystem. Um, the community was like empowered uh, and like, you know, given responsibility and which they accepted. Um, And then also, I I think this is true. So correct me if I'm wrong, but like Stark tokens have actually been like distributed among community members over the last like year or so, selectively, like very precisely, granularly. uh, And that was also kind of aided in this story and like shown the community members like, hey, you actually will own this thing um, even before the token is actually like out there. Uh, Maybe you can talk a little bit, like illustrate some of this uh, conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So I think so. The process of the decentralization was uh, pretty gradual, I would say. But uh, one of the, it's true that the initial kernel of the community played a very important role because it was so small at the beginning and everyone was, uh, everyone knew each other and whatnot. So when you come, you have directly some human interaction and it's very important. Actually, it makes a big difference. It's not only about uh, reading some tutorials to learn Cairo. You had the opportunity to really talk to people, to meet them in person, to participate in hacker houses and stuff like that. So, and I think one thing we did great is to consolidate in few places first before scaling too fast. Like for example, we had very strategic places like in France, for example, where we had a very strong kernel of very loyal and committed builders. So it started like with something like five people, then 10, 20, and then we stayed at this size for quite like six months or so. And then they were really close to each other, etc. And then it was really easier when we brought more people in the ecosystem, they had, direct interactions with the community. And they saw that the community was special. And it was not only about Starkware or the foundation, but also about a network of humans working together on the same goal. So the, not scaling too fast, I think, was played a big role. And trying to focus on few areas first before expanding in, in, in many different places at the same time. And then, uh, naturally, the community because initially it was small and they were close to each other. that they, they played a, a big role. And we included them uh, in all decision processes, basically to gather feedback for what they needed, what were their pain points and whatnot. We created, for example, a team that I'm leading, which is the exploration team. And the goal of this team is to uh, start some open source projects and to work hand in hand with the community on those projects. And we pay them. Uh, so they contribute, and each time they do a contribution to a project, they get paid. So, And the goal is, first of all, to eat our own dog food. So it's always better when you use your actual stack to understand the pain of the builders and mm-hmm. and understand uh, what they need and whatnot. And then it's also a good way to have some retention in the ecosystem because you know uh, it's not about just having a one-time grant and then you do something but then you need to find a job uh, uh, you need to eat something basically and for, with this system they can stay in the ecosystem, uh, improve their skills, continue to sharpen their skills and learn on actual projects and then once they are ready they can either find a job or create their own project and whatnot. plus, uh, those projects, the goal is at some point to give ownership to the community. Like, for example, the first one that we created is Kakarot, which is a ZKVM built in Cairo. So it was an exploration project. And then people from the community were actively involved in that. And then we discussed with them, and they wanted to take the lead on the project. So we gave them the ownership. We helped them to do a seed round. And for example, uh, um, and Stark were also invested in the seeds, Vitalik as well, and whatnot. And now the project is fully autonomous and fully owned by the, by the community members and, and whatnot. So I think also this is something that helps because we really focus on giving them on power them and making sure that they can stay and uh, live comfortably on a Starknet because we don't want Starknet is already a bet because it's not EVM compatible you need to learn language so we don't want to accumulate the the the, the layers of risks for them so we try to make their lives easier And regarding the the distribution of the token, um, so actually it was pretty recently that we uh, did uh, ECMP programs to reward early community members of the community. Uh, So for a very long time, there was not even tokens involved. They didn't know that it would happen at some point. Uh, So it was not even a big driver, to be honest, surprisingly. Uh, It came almost as a surprise and a bonus. And of course, everyone is happy now. Uh, But it was not, uh, it's the cherry on the peak, but it was not the main driver for them, surprisingly. Maybe also because actually somehow the fact that You know, I I guess almost no one knows that we had for a long time a grand program because we don't communicate, we don't even communicate about it. Like it was really strategic uh, one-to-one grants to do something specific. uh, And it was at the human scale, yeah. Like you had to do one call with Louis who was doing this and, and whatnot. So, and we did not over communicate about that. So it was pretty organic. You know, people, it, again, it was also a filter of motivation. We identified people, like for example, people active on Discord, on, on asking good questions, et cetera, actively reaching out to them and checking if they wanted to do something and propose them a grant. Uh, so, yeah, I think also this helped a lot.
0: Mantle, formerly known as BitDAO, is the first DAO-led Web3 ecosystem, all built on top of Mantle's first core product, the Mantle Network, a brand new high-performance Ethereum Layer 2 built using the OP stack, but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1. Not only does this reduce Mantle Network's gas fees by 80%, but it also reduces gas fee volatility, providing a more stable foundation for Mantle's applications. The Mantle Treasury is one of the biggest DAO-owned treasuries, which is seeding an ecosystem of projects from all around the Web3 space for Mantle. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded, like Game7 for Web3 Gaming, and Bybit for TVL and Liquidity and on-ramps. So if you want to build on the Mantle network, Mantle is offering a grants program that provides milestone-based funding to promising projects that help expand, secure, and decentralize Mantle. If you want to get started working with the first DAO-led Layer 2 ecosystem, check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xmantle. Arbitrum is accelerating the Web3 landscape with a suite of secure Ethereum scaling solutions. Hundreds of projects have already deployed onto Arbitrum 1 with a flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystem. Arbitrum Nova is quickly becoming a Web3 gaming hub and social dApps like Reddit are also calling Arbitrum home. And now Arbitrum Orbit allows you to use Arbitrum's secure scaling technology to build your own Layer 3, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible, faster transaction speeds, and significantly lower gas fees. Are you a dev, but you don't know Solidity? With Stylus, Arbitrum's upcoming proposal for a programming environment upgrade, developers can write smart contracts in Rust, C, C++, and many more coding languages. Arbitrum empowers you to explore and build without compromise. Visit arbitrum.io, where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first app on Arbitrum. It's everyone's favorite season in crypto, tax season. And crypto tax is always an absolute headache, especially for all you DGENs out there. But it doesn't have to be a nightmare. That's where Crypto Tax Calculator comes in. The software built for DGENs by DGENs. As Coinbase's official global tax partner, Crypto Tax Calculator focuses on making complex transactions into easy ones, supporting over 300,000 currencies across Ethereum, Arbitrum, Optimism, as well as a thousand other integrations as well. It's as simple as connecting your wallet, pulling in all your transactions, and following the automated suggestions to quickly and accurately calculate your tax obligations. Plus, for all the airdrop farmers out there, Crypto Tax Calculator has your back as they are consistently adding support for new and upcoming Layer 1s, Layer 2s, and all the airdrops that you're currently farming. 2024 is the year when the DGens do their crypto taxes with speed and confidence. Make taxes this year easy and affordable with Crypto Tax Calculator. Sign up at CryptoTaxCalculator.io and get a 30% discount with code BANK30. Click the link in the show notes for more information. I think this has been one of the biggest um, advantages that StarkNet has had, which is that it hasn't necessarily needed to broadcast um, its asks, right? Like, hey, there's a grant program. Come and collect the grant. Exactly. It hasn't needed to market that because there are people very proximate to StarkNet who is like, oh, like, I'll take that. I'll I'll run with yes, that. Like, don't, exactly. you don't need to broadcast that. I'm like right here. I'm already listening. Um, you don't need to market this, right? Like I'll just go and do it, uh, and like yeah, 100%. like any single project would just kill to have that kind of like community so proximate to them. If exactly. there was like a textbook written about the Starknet strategy over the last like two years for, for strategy for growth, strategy for like community adoption, um, it just what would you say were like would be some of the most elements, is the most important elements that would be in that book? Like what hmm. what are the big like wins here? First, I would say
1: focus on quality rather than quantity. Uh, Don't try to, um, to, to scale too fast. Again, I think take time to have a very strong organic kernel for the community that will then help you to snowball and to gather more people. Uh, embracing our differences, also I would say, we have this uh, motto in Starknet, which is "Keep Starknet Strange." Mm-hmm. It's actually the name of the GitHub organization of my exploration team. It's called "Keep Starknet Strange." But
0: that and, was a uh, Van Spencer line, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and embracing our differences and not trying to uh, stimulate a copy-paste culture. And like, for example stimulate people who have really crazy idea something that almost everyone will say it will never work or it's crazy dumb we would never said these kind of things we say oh wow that's pretty cool please do it we will help you and we don't know what uh, it will bring but please do it so yeah embracing the differences Uh, stimulate the open source culture early and also the synergies between projects. This is something that that played well, I think, because uh, we know everyone. It it was like a family. So it was really easy to identify potential synergies between two projects. You know someone is working on an oracle, you know DeFi project that that needs an oracle, you connect them, they work together, and the whole ecosystem uh, grow. Um, Yeah, uh, identifying and stimulate synergies between uh, Uh, the projects. Accepting and embracing healthy competition, I would say, like, I think it was very uh, smart move from URI to directly uh, have two wallets, uh, Argent and Bravos competing each other instead of just funding one big uh, initiative. Uh, I think the stimulation was very healthy. uh, And I think, uh, uh, without uh, Bravos coming, Argent would not be there yet they, uh, because they had to really differentiate themselves, innovate, keeping uh, adding features and whatnot. Um, the focus on uh, the diversity uh, uh, very early was very important because um, it helps to attract also different sets of developers. We have a uh, very diverse stack. Like we have Rust, Z, Go, TypeScript and whatnot. So it helps also to attract people. Because again, uh, we don't want t- uh, people to necessarily learn Cairo to be able to contribute meaningfully to StarkNet. Mm-hmm. All the infrastructure is built without Cairo. So you can definitely contribute uh, to mm-hmm. StarkNet without learning Cairo uh, uh, as a starting point. A few organic regions, uh, regions first, geographical regions. And then also, I think that we did a pretty good job. And once we had this strong kernel in Europe, we expanded to, um, I would say, emerging countries like Latam and Africa. Those are very strategic places that we try to expand right now. And I think that they also, those regions, they understand more naturally the need of crypto. It's not just about the tech, but they, they live in countries where they see the importance of crypto and they see what happens where you cannot trust your government or uh, central banks and, and whatnot.
0: So a very big part of uh, StarkNet, obviously, are the Stark dads, uh, Ellie and Uri. Um, can you talk a, bit, a little bit about just like their, their parenting, their their parenting styles, uh, the effect that they've had, the vacuums that they've left either unintentionally or intentionally? Just talk about like the, the parenting styles of these two yeah. uh, father figures.
1: So those two f- faster figures are very different and very complementary, so it was very amazing. So on one hand, you have uh, Ellie, who is really the, the gigabrain figure of Starkware, like the inventor of Starks and the, 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 the genius of math and whatnot. So I think the Ellie brings naturally this natural charisma and uh, technical legitimacy and credibility of Starkware and, and, and Starknet. Uh, while you have Uri, who is uh, more um, focused on, on the operational side of things and also the um, co- connecting humans. I think Uri was amaz- amazing in connecting the dots between people and also understand the, the business needs and how the operational aspect and the execution uh, was super important. Like uh, Uri is really someone, it's impressive how close he is to all builders in the ecosystem. Literally, he, knew, he knows almost every single one of them. He spent time uh, during uh, events in person to discuss with everyone, to give them advice on the business front and, and whatnot. So really, uh, Uri played an amazing role in that. And and even for me personally, he he was one of the main reasons why I joined Stockware. Like, uh, for example, I can give a, a small anecdote. So I was uh hesitating between two different options, uh, and I discussed a lot in person with uh Uri and I really uh I was impressed by something that might be trivial, but he said, okay, if you join Starkware, we would want you to to come to Israel and visit us at the office, but he directly saw that there might be some sensitivity for me. And he said, uh, but of course, if this is something uh, for context, because I'm Muslim, this is why I'm saying that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And he understood that it could be something sensible for me. It was not actually, but it could have been. And I really admired the fact that it was not only about, uh, you know, professional relationship, but uh, always, uh, about the human beings uh, behind the, those. And again, the social layer. So Uri is really someone amazing on that front. He has such a great level of empathy and whatnot. And it's really because when people who don't know Uri would not think uh, that from him when you see him like that. I, I'm pretty sure that people think he's a, a distant CEO or whatnot, but it's clearly not the case. He's really close to almost every single builder in, in the ecosystem and whatnot. So he had to unfortunately step down for Mm -hmm. personal family uh, issues. So uh, I'm still very sad about it, to be honest. Um, I really love Uri, and but I think he was very brave in uh, uh, taking this decision because, you know, he could have just want to keep this option open uh, depending on the future. uh, We don't know. But he he knew that it was a potential risk for the company and the ecosystem. So he took the brave, brave decision to step down, uh, mm-hmm. definitively. And I think it was uh, admirable. By the way, I also let, uh, lost uh, control uh, after his announcement because I saw some re- very inhuman reactions to to this announcement, like people not caring at all about his personal situation and yes. asking about the airdrop and saying very yes. inhuman stuff. And I, I, I lost control, to be honest. It was one of the few time where I lost control on Twitter. Uh, it, it escalated, actually. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but I mm-hmm. used the word e-beggar, and now it, it became something big, like a, a meme, and I got a lot of uh, insults and death threats uh, because of that. Uh, but yeah, anyway, sometimes it reminds me that we are human, and also we have emotions, and sometimes it's hard to to keep control on all circumstances. So, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I totally understand, especially when um, Ellie and Uri have created such a, a human level connection between the in, inside of the Starkware, Starknet culture, uh, and then someone else is coming in, not being sensitive to like reminding, not being reminded that there's a human on the other end of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, and obviously just being there for themselves. Like the the... Airdrop farmers, airdrop grifters are just rampant in this space, and uh, I consider them fodder. Uh, the human side can come out, but when when like everyone is just like sounding exactly the same as the airdrop the airdrop hunters who don't really have any other interests in the space, um, I consider them not not worth listening to. There are better ways to contribute to the conversation. I I totally understand. Um, I, as father figures, like there's both the role of like. Uh, being high touch with the the child that is Darknet, and then there's also being like leaving it up to his own devices and stepping back and seeing what happens. Uh, can you talk about any uh, any of th- these experiences or like their role or strategy with that?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's an important aspect, uh, and it's hard to be honest. Like uh, to give the baby to the, both the community and right. to a foundation, so they had to 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 hire some people to lead the foundation, like Diego, the CEO of the foundation, and whatnot. So I think it was not an easy process, but uh, uh, I'm very happy that they understood that it was so important for the long-term success of StarkNet to to decentralize uh, early the governance and to have also some forces uh, outside of Starkware and to see Starkware as one of the core contributors of Starknet but not the only one and to focus on bringing more strong partners to to that will play a big role in, in Starknet development but yeah it, it it's not something easy and it creates some uh, friction and uh, to be honest it slow downs uh, things also because you need to involve more parties in the discussions you cannot decide uh, everything unilaterally Um, But it's on purpose, of course, but it creates some friction. And uh, I think that, for example, some of our competitors, they don't have this overhead, like uh, uh, they can decide everything unilaterally. They have the full control on their protocol on their stack. Like for, for, for example, for us, when we do a network upgrade, we need to wait until all full nodes are ready, RPC providers, indexers, and whatnot. And we don't develop those. So we are also coupled to the roadmap of external parties and and whatnot. So I think it's good and healthy for the network because it's much more resilient and you have more guardians that can say, uh, if something is going wrong and whatnot. But it comes with a price, the price of the velocity of the development of the protocol. Yes. But I think regiment neutrality is super important and that, um, Eli and Uri understand understood it well with the creation of the foundation and empowering people in the community and strong partners working. Uh, with us on Starknet, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. What what are uh, the Starkwarians Starknetians, Starkers? Uh, what are they currently excited about? Obviously, there's this very big event that we are all processing, but really, just beyond that, there's there's like a long future ahead. This is really just the beginning. Uh, what what are people excited about? What are they building? What are they focusing on? What's like most exciting in the Starknet ecosystem?
1: Mm, yeah. So I think there are multiple tracks. Uh, I would say the fee reduction track, the performance track, and also uh, the more features track and more unique features. So of course the coming things, uh, and it will be out also uh, when the video will be there, but uh, the integration of 4844 with the uh, next uh, Ethereum upgrade that will reduce fees. And actually we are, Pretty bullish and confident about that. In the, um, why? Because of the um, our proving technology. Like once you remove the cost of the DA, like if for works well, then what will matter most is the verification cost of the proof. Because right now, you know the ratio is something like 95, 95 uh, percent of the cost is DA, okay, and five percent only is the proof verification. So it's negligible right now. So our uh, uh, strengths of Cairo and 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 that is not visible uh, a lot right now. But once DA is not a problem anymore, it will be the case. So we are pretty confident that we'll have a very competitive uh, fees uh, after 4844. Then there is the people are excited about volition, which is something that will be uh, pretty unique, I think, in Starknet, which would be the ability for uh, smart contract developers to choose their DA layer on a very granular level. So it won't be binary, it won't be either your Validium or you are a Rollup. You can choose on a very granular level to put some data and use Ethereum as DA, and for some others, you can use uh, off chain DA or Celestia or Avail and whatnot, so it will be super powerful, and I think it can bring new kind of applications. Where depending on the security level, uh, uh, you you will choose be- between different kind of DA. But even in the same application, uh, I don't know. But for example, if you have some NFT, you want to put some important on-chain metadata, and you want to use Ethereum DA. But for some of them, you don't care, and then you can use uh, extra uh, uh, Alt uh, DA solutions. Uh, a lot of people are very excited about uh, native account abstraction. That is, again, something very unique to mm. StockNet. It's the only network where you have only uh, native account abstraction. There are a few other networks where you have some account abstraction, like on Sync, but you also have EOA. And actually mm. you have more because you have mm. EOA, you have 4337 account, account abstraction, plus their native account abstraction. So in terms of uh, it creates some fraction uh, in okay. terms of UX and DevX for application okay. developers. Well, StackNet, you don't have the choice. You have only native account abstraction. So uh, people are excited and uh, trying to experiment, uh, um, implement very cool showcase of the power of native account abstraction. Like we have people who implemented some smart contracts where you can interact with them, unlocking your face ID. Um, mm-hmm because you can literally implement whatever authentication logic you want in your contract. It's flexible on the protocol. So we see a lot coming in terms of Paymaster use cases, social finance uh, use cases. Uh, we have a lot of people bullish and excited about crossover between Farcaster frames and StarkNet. Mm. We, we see already a lot of uh, StarkNet builders building cool uh, StarkNet related frames. And then uh, there is an ongoing topic, which is performance. People on StartNet ecosystem are really excited about optimizations and stuff like that. So one notable example will be this year the integration of KR native which is something that will bring a huge boost on the sequencer speed. Basically, you can see it as completely removing the overhead of having a virtual machine and you will execute everything like it was directly a binary program on the node. You can do that on the sequencer because you don't have to prove the execution. On the Prover, of course, you cannot. Uh, but anyway, this is a huge performance improvement that is coming and that will uh, again uh, unlock, unlock a lot of things. And last example, I would say is uh, app chains and Layer 3. We uh, recently announced the implementation of Cairo Verifier, which will effectively enable the creation of StockNet Layer 3s and use the fractal scaling thesis that we have pushed for the past years. Um, Again, we are pretty different, it seems. Uh, The industry is moving towards horizontal L2s, uh, like you have Polygon with the aggregated layer thesis. The OP stack is like that also. And for the moment, it seems that we are the only network who will put a strong emphasis on the fractal scaling thesis. So we will be exciting to see how it plays. But I'm pretty bullish on layer 3s and app chains in general because I think they will bring a lot of new features and innovative use cases. And you can see them also as canary networks for the public stack net itself because you can experiment faster. Similarly to layer 2 can experiment faster than the layer 1. You can have that on one layer above. So I'm very excited about that and builders in the ecosystem as well.
0: Oh, that's, a, that's a lot of surface area, for sure. There's a lot of a lot of things to, to touch on. One thing I, I've definitely been noticing is um, people people came into the crypto ecosystem via StarkNet, via Starkware, and that's kind of where they grew their foundation and their identity, learned how to be a coder in Web3 and crypto, learned what that meant. Uh, and now these people have um, moved on from just being like hackers, hacking on projects at hackathons to like starting to actually like, oh, I want to commit to one idea, And have that be my business, have that be my startup, have that be my career. And so like there's a growing StarkNet mafia out there of people who have just been there. They are now no longer amateurs of Cairo. They are now experts of Cairo. And now at the same time, StarkNet is maturing into this ecosystem that's self-sufficient. So are the builders on top of it. Uh, can you talk about like just this arc of the of the Cairo builders and like where they are pointing their efforts to- towards? Like what are the, the kind of uh, class of startups that you're seeing being born around the StarkNet world?
1: Yeah, I really saw the maturation of many of them, like starting exactly like you said, building some cool stuff on hackathon projects and 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 very crazy idea. And then they went through the process of uh, learning and being experts and whatnot, and having some uh, projects idea and going into production grade mode and whatnot. So I really saw many of them grow and it was very uh, impressive. Uh, And really, uh, again, a lot of very young builders, like 19 years old uh, founders who are building crazy projects and whatnot. So. Uh, now, uh, I think it, it, it's really a transition phase where we have the first cycle of very mature builders that are now, uh, now experts in Cairo and have the, the possibility to run an actual business product on top of Starknet. So this is the first wave of actual products that we see in production that are very interesting. To name a few of them, I would name Avenue. Which is, uh, the, the biggest dex aggregator on, on StockNet, And it has a very smooth UX and whatnot. So p- people start to compare it more and more to Jupiter on Solana in terms of the, the smooth UX and whatnot. And they are very shipping and they are very good in execution. Now they are working on very innovative features, features like gas, gasless trading infrastructure using Playmaster, stuff like that. Uh, we have, uh, Ekubo, but uh, uh, Ekubo is a bit uh, uh, an exception because uh, it, it was already on OG. So it's Moody from Uniswap, and he, he left Uniswap to create the project on, on, on StockNet. And he started Ekubo, which is an IMM, uh, Univ4 IMM-like uh, model with extensions and whatnot. So it's very powerful IMM. If I'm not mistaken, it should be the most capital-efficient IMM in the whole crypto industry. We have a very cool uh, innovative projects, again, around uh, AI and machine learning like Giza. And those, by the way, it's an interesting example because it's an example of some projects that are using the StockNet stack, but not strongly coupled to the public StockNet. Like they can use the stack outside of the public Starknet. Another example is Dojo. They are building games, and you can deploy on Starknet. But they are working also on uh, layer trees on top of opti- or op- the OP stack, basically. Being able to have a Starknet app uh, chain game uh, that will settle on OP stack, basically. So it's also an interesting aspect that Starkware uh, r- really understood that for adoption, it was important that Cairo itself and the stack is not strongly coupled to Starknet. You can use the stack and Use it elsewhere. I think it's good move for adoption and awareness of the language uh, on language is a stake and the stack. And we haven't tried to lock people to use SkyOne's stocknet. Also, maybe another example, uh, which is in the real world asset vertical, uh, which is Carbonable, uh, working on the uh, carbon industry, like not focusing on the carbon credits market, but more on the supply, like basically tokenizing projects themselves like uh, real world projects that will uh, produce some carbon credits over tw- uh, 20 years or something like that and they 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 tokenize the process of the the issuance of the carbon credits and whatnot and then they can build derivatives on uh, based on that and um, and defy protocol using those uh, projects uh
0: yeah beautiful beautiful and abdel uh i mean there's a lot going on in the, the stark net ecosystem what what are you focused on? Like uh, when we're done with this podcast, you're going to go back to work. Uh, what does that look like? What, what's uh, on your near-term goals?
1: My near-term goals, I, of course, I will start new exploration projects. So there are a few areas that I want to explore. One of them is account abstraction. I want really to find very disruptive use cases to showcase it. Really something that will be uniquely enabled by StockNet and the native account abstraction. So I have a few ideas I want to explore. Um, maybe to try to do some kind of uh, on-chain Neobank-like experience, like where you have a vault and you can create some custom accounts with custom spending limits or different types of particularities like that, but in very smooth manner. Uh, I want to really leverage the abstraction for, for for this. I'm also focusing a lot now on the ecosystem front uh, because uh, I'm now taking the head of the ecosystem. So I will, I'm i uh, currently hiring a new team for the ecosystem front. By the way, if you know some very cool people who would be a good fit, let me know. Uh, so I want to find new strategies to to do what we did actually at scale. Because you know what, all the playbook I explained before it's not really something easy to scale, to be honest. It works at a very small, medium scale for, to bootstrap the, the organic kernel. But to if we want now to 100x or 1,000x the ecosystem, it won't work. We cannot use the same playbook because it inv- involves a lot of human interaction, like doing 15 calls a day and whatnot. So now I'm trying to think about how to scale this at a, big, at a w- way bigger scale and... Also, I want to work more now also with existing projects in other ecosystems uh, because we have now, I would say 95% of native StarkNet projects, but it will be also important to have strong EVM, Ethereum projects uh, coming also to StarkNet and even beyond Ethereum uh, actually. Um, I think now my I, I start to believe that in terms of developer acquisition, we should focus focus more maybe on non-Ethereum ecosystems. Why? A few reasons, but first of all, I think that in ecosystems like Solana, Polkadot, Cosmos, first of all, they already went through the step of accepting that the VM is not the end game. They already went through the journey of learning a new stack, a new language from scratch, et cetera. So they are already in this mindset of accepting that there might be opportunities outside. Uh, So I think the it can be more efficient for us to target more of those devs. Uh, I think the, the marginal cost of learning Cairo to deploy on one more uh, L2 versus just deploy on 50 EVM L2s is not worth it for Solidity devs, I think. Uh, so I want to put more focus on, uh, bringing uh, non Ethereum developers, but I'm wondering, uh, I think on, for users, I think it's almost the opposite in a way, because what I'm thinking right now, but it might be wrong, is that there is no way that we can convince right now Solana users to come on StockNet because they accepted the trade-offs and compromises of Solana. And if you don't care sufficiently about uh, security level and decentralization of Ethereum, for, for you, StockNet will always be worse than Solana because you will say it, it's it's more expensive, it's it's slower and whatnot. So I think like at some point we can even compete with them on those levels, but not in the next two years, I would say, realistically. Mm-hmm. So for the moment, I think our main user base will be probably on Ethereum. People who mm-hmm. care sufficiently right. about decentralization and security. Yeah.
0: Abdel, this has uh, been fantastic. What other like topics or stone have I not unturned that is important to the StarkNet community?
1: One maybe topic actually is I want to create more uh, bridges between our community and Ethereum community. Because, you know, it's, it, it's not on purpose that we don't mix our community during events. It's, it's just because of the nature of the tech. For example, if we participate to eat global hackathon, we'll have a, a, a separate stock net track. But, you know, you have the choice between competing on a, on a 300k pool of EVM projects versus competing on just uh, to, uh, for the StarkNet specific track. So uh, usually it was not worth it for us to, uh, but now I want to find some ways to to have more connections between Ethereum community in general and and StarkNet community. Uh, also uh, in terms of research, research, and I want more close connection with uh, the EF and the research on Ethereum. We actually started to do more and more like that. I want also to push uh, this year some EIPs uh, that uh, we are trying to identify some stuff that will be important for ZK rollups. And, generic and also, of course, we don't want to push the IP just for us, but for all ZK rollups. And we, we will try to push uh, uh, and work more. For example, this is something that I think Optimism is doing well. They are contributing a lot on the layer one, and I want us to do more like that. Um, yeah.
0: Abdel, this has been uh, fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective. I hope that the uh, the names for the Starkware Starknetters can can emerge because yeah. I would like to be able to use that name.
1: Yeah, yeah, we need to find a name, definitely. Yeah.
0: No, this has been fantastic, Abdel. Thank you so much. Th- thank
1: you very much, David. Thanks for having me.